G'day guys and welcome back to the My Love of Golf podcast. Yes, it's your host Roscoe here with another fantastic interview and today it's one with a very good friend of mine. Yes, it's the Ace Cam King. You don't know who the Ace Cam King is? Well, I'm sure that you do. He's done some great work alongside his great friend Eric Anders Lang. Yes, it's the one and only Stuart Kerr, one of the coolest young Scotsmen that I know. Well, not only a Scotsman but an Australian as well. I was able to catch him when he was at home in Adelaide, chatted for an hour and a half. We probably could have chatted about golf for about three and a half hours, realistically. Stuart's just one of those passionate, enigmatic, positive and enthusiastic guys. And he's one of the reasons why golf content and the game of golf is really striking a chord with so many people at so many different levels. His work that he's doing alongside his partner in crime, Eric, is fantastic. And I know from what I do, how many people have been introduced to the game through the work of Stuart, a great photographer, passionate football fan, golf nut. It's a great chat. So if you like what we're doing, please jump over to iTunes, leave us a review, leave us a message, leave Stuart a message, leave me a message, leave Rocket a message, leave your mate a message, but hit like, give us a few stars because it's the way that the podcast will get in and this interview will get into the ears of more and more people. I really appreciate your support. I've had a lot of great messages over this time. It's been a tough time. We're all experiencing it. We're all in it together. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to talk to people like Stuart and bring you some of the insights that he's got from such a vast array of experiences. I get motivated by that and I hope you do too. Enjoy the chat with Stuart. Occur. Look forward to talking to you in the next episode of the My Love of Golf podcast. Thanks again. Welcome back to the My Love of Golf podcast, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. It's Easter here, and we have a very, very special guest on the line all the way from Adelaide, Australia. I'm pretty sure that everyone knows Stuart Kerr. Stuart Kerr, how are you, sir? How you doing, Oscar? I'm very good, mate. I'm very good. Thanks for taking some time this Easter to sit down and chat to us and record a podcast. Uh, it's been something that I guess we might have mentioned in passing, but uh, it's always been a pretty busy time for you, and I'd rather be out there being busy, but like most of us, we're sitting here and having the opportunity to catch up. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to have a catch-up. Is that all right with you, mate? I'm absolutely looking forward to it, mate. Thank you very much for having me on. A long-held goal of mine, and it's great that we could finally finally get the chance to sit down and do it without any any distraction so mate um great to see you you're over there in adelaide now right yeah absolutely we're kind of stranded here um (laughs) obviously with the current pandemic that's happening we're not going anywhere else anytime soon so we were supposed to be obviously flying out a few weeks ago with season five adventures in golf about to kick off but the closer and closer it got the more uncertainty was raised and a couple of the episodes were cancelled and cassandra my wife and i were still supposed to be flying out um to do a couple of other episodes but then again the closer and closer it got the more uncertain it was and we decided to pull the pin probably two or three days before we were due to fly out and uh, bunker down here in adelaide which turned out to be a great decision in the end well as we as we discussed there before it's been uh, it's a pretty good place to be in terms of how uh, this pandemic's affecting people not that there's any great place to be but uh you know you look like you're Pretty comfortable there at home there in, in where are you? In Glenelg? What part of Glenelg, yeah. Glenelg, yeah. Glenelg, right by the beach. 
Beautiful park. Like I say, I could definitely think of worse places that we could be, Ross. Absolutely, absolutely, mate. Well, I'm by the beach too and, you know, I'll go for a walk later on and uh, breathe in and take it all in and just be appreciative of what we do have, mate, what we do have, and that's this time to have a chat. I guess what I'd like to do today is find a little bit more about Stuart Kerr. I think I said there before, we all know you from AIG and the great work that you do in that golf um, social media space and content creation space. And I know because people tell me how fond they are of you and they've asked me to try and talk to you. And I said, when Stuart's got time, I'm sure that we can do this and that's today. I would like to find a little bit more about you and I guess what we don't know about you, the life before AIG, how AIG and the uh, content creation business captured you. What was the journey like before that? Obviously, you're a Scotsman and that's why... You know, I'm drawn yep. to drawn to you so wildly, but and there's a lot of Scottish people in Adelaide, so I know that there's a, there was a lot of migration from Scotland to Adelaide, from Scotland to Melbourne, from Scotland to where I grew up in the Hunter Valley. What was the journey like before then? What what was life in Scotland like? And take us up to that point before you left. I think it's funny when you kind of look back on my life growing up in Scotland. It's um, I remember it so fondly, but at the same time. It's also, did it ever really happen? Yeah, right. You know, I think, and I don't think I really appreciate where I came from until I go home again. It's quite easy because I'm such a proud Australian as well these days, yeah. you know. But growing up, obviously growing up in Glasgow, it's a choice. Growing up, it was only football ever, really. Mm-hmm. Played a little bit of golf here and there, but it was mainly football growing up that I played. And it wasn't really until I got to Australia that I did take up golf quite seriously. I always had a passion for it. I always watched it because my dad's an avid golfer and whenever I could go and play with him, I would go and play with him, but I just never had the time. And I don't think that, I think my one regret from growing up in Scotland and then moving here is because I wasn't, and I didn't have the time to be into golf that much when I was young, I never took advantage of all these unbelievable golf courses that were on my doorstep. And that's one regret that I definitely have now. Obviously, we've been lucky enough that we've been back there and I've got to play some incredible golf courses. But growing up, I had the Open Championship on my doorstep every second year or whatever, you know? Yeah. And, like, the first Open I ever went to was at Royal Portrush. I remember we tried to go, friends of mine and myself tried to go to the 2005 Open at St Andrews when Tiger won, and we couldn't get tickets. That's the only one I ever tried to get to. But... um Besides that, Portrush was my first ever Open. And I lived in Scotland for 20 years, you know. So getting back there, obviously, in the recent adventures that we've done has been really special to me. And the pride comes back because it's, you're living in that country through other people's eyes at that moment. Mm-hmm. You're seeing the reactions from other people. They are seeing the generosity and the kindness and the humour of the Scottish people that I've always known was there, but they've never experienced that. And that's when you start getting that sense of pride back again, I guess, you know? Absolutely, mate. I know very, very well um, what that feels like and what it means to me. So I can see that very clearly. Uh, and it comes through in all of your content that you've created, especially the stuff that there is in Scotland that, uh, you know, you're a proud Aussie now. How long have you been? When did you um, become an Australian? I moved to, my family moved here when I was 18. I wasn't quite ready to make the move. I came here and moaned and groaned for a couple months until they found my mum and dad kind of finally booked me a one-way ticket back to Glasgow. I think it was, it was a difficult time to leave because 
you're kind of you're going out with your mates every weekend, and you've got you've solidified your your kind of circle of friends, you know, yeah. and like they're who you're closest to essentially at that uh, time of your life. So it was difficult to leave all that and come to a country where I didn't know anyone, I didn't know the culture, um, and it was a just a I guess it was a coward's way out. You could say it was a safety blanket to just go back to Scotland and fall back into my old routines. Did you, and that couldn't have been easy on my parents, I can only imagine, because they were going through all the same things I was going through, yeah. but they had to stick it out because they had made that decision to come here. Did you have a choice before you came to go? Well, you know, being that you were 18, did Jack and Mad say, you can come, you can't come, or it was just like you're coming? Honestly, I don't really remember. I don't, mum and dad aren't the type of people that would say, you're coming. You know, it was, I think at that time, it was you had to be in the country by a certain time to get your passport stamped to approve your visa. And it was a case of, we don't know what could happen if you don't come now. And then later down the track, you decide that you want to come. So it was a case of just getting in the country and then maybe come back. Looking back, I always think that was so selfish of me to do that, you know, but you're young and um, like to just come here and then leave my parents and my brother and sister here. My sister was young at the time and I left. And then not long after that, my brother also came back and we moved into a house together. And I can't even, like I say, it's in hindsight now, right? When you're a little more grown up and you kind of look back and I think I didn't, at the time, I didn't quite appreciate how hard that would have been on uh, my parents. Yeah. Um, both are boys going back home and they are dealing with the struggles of trying to set up a new life here when the one thing that you should have around you in that time is family. <laughs> yeah, look, I guess it was, uh, you know, character building on all fronts and, you know, you made your way back out here. I, as I said before, I can appreciate that. You know, I know what my parents went through, but I, I remember there's one thing, and I don't want to talk about me, but uh, there's one thing I remember when I told my mum that I was moving from the Hunter Valley down to Melbourne and she says, there's only four of us here. So I was only moving to Melbourne, not to the other side of the world, but, you know, they'd yeah. obviously been through that transition and that separation a long time ago, albeit, but it was obviously quite raw for them to have someone move away from them, have one of their own move away. So, mate, it wasn't selfish. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't see it as selfish. It's just the way it is. And, you know, you're back here now and Jack and Madge are around you and, you know, it's all, it's all good, I guess. I always look back as well and, and now, like I say, I appreciate how brave a decision it is to uproot your family and take them to a different country. And without a doubt, I'm forever grateful to my parents that they moved to Australia. Because yeah. personally, I think it's the best country in the world. As well at the time when we moved here, we moved here in the middle of winter and we were put smack bang in a, a bit of a dump, to be honest. Like we kind of, the only place they kind of set you up with was this house that was, I've just always remember it being so cold, you know? And I was like, this isn't Australia. Australia is <laughs> supposed to be like sunshine and beaches and all that kind of stuff. And we were getting none of that. Like home and away. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was like, where's the diner? Where's Alf Stewart? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but after a couple of years in Scotland, partying hard, uh, I came out to visit mum and dad that uh, one summer. And by that time, they'd moved in a new house. They'd made a friendship group, and it was they had done all the hard work. And I came back and kind of reaped the rewards. Oh, I says, "Yeah, I want I want to be here. This is this is where I want to be." So moved back to Australia, and um, 
I just I just love it here. I love it. Met my wife here and yeah, we kinda went from there. Shout out to Cassandra. She's there listening and probably she's around the corner doing some work there. But uh, we just had a chat oh, there before. Or judging everything I'm saying right now. No, not at all. <laughs> so mate, early life in Australia, was that more fun? Difficult? Loved it. Loved it. I brought my best mate over with me. Yeah. So that made the transition a hell of a lot easier. He actually lives in Sydney now. He moved there by himself. He went back to Scotland, got his degree, moved straight back over. But yeah, so moving over here with a family was it was just great. I just loved it. I got myself uh, an apprenticeship, which never I would have thought at the time as well. I have to say, in Scotland, I was just working in pubs and kind of doing a whole lot of nothing. But moving over here, I was able to get myself an apprenticeship, which was an opportunity that never happened in Scotland either. Um, being kind of 20, 21 years of age, that was an opportunity that would have been gone uh, at that age in Scotland. So I found myself lucky there. I found a great group of mates through playing soccer. And, yeah, and then played a, started playing a lot of golf. Started playing a lot of golf. Joined the golf club over here and was playing it like twice a week and just really, really enjoying my time. And that took us up to, I guess, the time where Cassandra was offered a job in the US and we made the move there. That was in 2013. Then the kind of madness started to unfold. So Cassandra, you followed Cassandra across to the States? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. So then- we had uh, spent some time over there. We already had uh, quite a few friends that lived over there. I think it was one of them was filming a movie actually in Adelaide. And she had said, this is one of Cassandra's closest friends, and she says, we'd love you to work on the movie, do some production work and all that kind of stuff. And then she says, you just have, you should just come back to the States and finish it. So she got Cassandra a visa and we said, all right, let's do this. So packed up our bags and headed over to the States to see what that would hold. And then, like I say, that was when this next chapter of my life really begun. The chapter of the, I was already like, pinch me, I live in Australia. Yeah. I live in Australia. I have a good job. I have great friends. How can life get any better? And then it just kind of, went from 60 to 160 pretty quick when we were darting all over the world. Were you always a creative type? You know, did, did that creative bent always exist? Or was it something you learned or something you fell in love with? Or you, know, you, you wouldn't be the first tradie that's become, you know, a content creator. <laughs> I don't know. But I don't know, I don't know if there, there's that many of them. Yeah, that's, I don't know. If anyone else out there is, please let me know. But um, I had always been really, and I like, I'd always had a passion for photography and um, visual art. I always, I loved um, like be- beautifully shot movie. I always just had so much appreciation for beauty on on film, you know. Mm-hmm. And when we moved to LA, Cassandra had said to me. Okay, we're moving there. We're moving there for me. You can do anything you want. She said, if you could do any job in the world, what would it be? I'll never forget this conversation. She said, if you could have any job in the world, what would it be? And um, I says, I would love to do something in the golf industry, but I would love to blend that with the entertainment industry. I said, I'd love to do something in film and in golf. And... um, Cassandra said to me, okay, well, just tell yourself every day that you're going to do that. You're going to do something in golf and in film. And I says, okay. So 
every day I would just say, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, you know, and keep telling myself. And then I guess the rest is history. Really, we were at a mutual friend of ours birthday party. I met Eric there, uh, Eric Lang, and who obviously everyone knows now is Mr. Anders Lang. And at that time, the Open was on. And straight away, here my Scottish accent. I think Eric had just got back from Scotland from shooting uh, episode one of Adventures in Golf, mm-hmm. believe it or not. And we had just missed each other in Scotland, obviously never met each other. And he said to me, oh, are you Scottish? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, do you like golf? I said, I love golf. And um, he's like, basically said, let's be friends. And I was like, sounds great. Yeah, so uh, Eric had said, Let, can I let's be friends? And that was it. Uh, I had left, I think we were, Sandra and I were coming back to Australia for a holiday about a week later. And uh, we were here for uh, four weeks or so. Excuse me. And then I took my clubs back to the US with me. I texted Eric at about 10.30 p.m. or 11 p.m. the night that I got back to the U.S. And I said, hey, Stuart, from the party, I'd love to play golf. Because at that time, I didn't know anyone in L.A. that played golf. So I'd been in a driving range and hit balls, but I'd never knew anyone. I mean, where was RGC back then, you know? Because I literally never knew anyone that was also into golf. So I was like, great, finally I have someone I can play golf with. So the day I got back, I messaged at about 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night and um, said, I'm back in town, I'd love to play golf. And he wrote back straight away and said, do you want to play at seven o'clock tomorrow morning? I said, yes. <laughs> and um, I'll never forget it. We always kind of joke, this is one of the first RGCs we got there. And uh, the four ball was myself, Eric, and two others that Eric had never played golf with. One was uh, Akbar from Seamus Golf, yeah. the creator of Seamus Golf, Akbar was there. And uh, also Simon Holt, who's yeah. uh, he runs a golf tourism company. I'm sure you know Simon. He's recently completed the top hundred courses in the world. Yeah, number forty-five um, from North Berwick. There, absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know Simon personally, but uh, I know I know a couple of guys that do know Simon quite well. So there you go. Wow, that was our, so. That was our four ball. None of us have played golf together. Yeah, before that day, and. Uh, I'll never forget Akbar showed up with his little pencil bag, his little Seamus pencil bag over his shoulder. And he was the first one I saw. He had a Hawaiian shirt and a pencil bag. And I thought, this guy looks so cool. And he came up to me and he says, are you Stuart? You're on our four ball kind of thing. And yeah, headed off. And I think by the ninth, we played the, oh, the, so we played the course backwards that day. We started on 10. And by the time we got to the first tee, I think Eric had offered me a job. Seriously? And yeah, and then it kind of, and the rest is a block from there, yeah, I guess. It's absolutely. been a wild kind of five or so years. I didn't really know what I was doing. He just loved it. One thing, one thing that I think I offered was a, a bit of a savant memory, so it's but for nothing useful. So nothing useful in school could I remember when I was studying and whatnot. But I can tell you who the top goal scorer at 2002 World Cup is. I can tell you who won the 2000 master, the 99 masters or whatever, you know? So it's like, it was just all these random golf facts that would pop into my head. And Eric was like, we can definitely use this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, so that was kind of how, how it all started. So you were watching uh, the 2016 Open together. Was that 2016 back then? Is that how- So the first one that 
Um, when you say you watched them, was 2015, the playoff with, uh, it was uh, Mark Leishman, Susan, and uh, Zach Johnson won it at St. Andrews. Yeah. So that was the first one we met at. And in 2016, we watched together on uh, in my apartment in LA, we had the projector screen up and uh, watched Phil and Henrik just, that was one of those moments in time you'll never forget, you know, S- similar to the Miracle Medina. I'll never, ever forget watching that live. Yeah. And, wanting to scream the house down, but I couldn't because it was like four o'clock in the morning here in Australia. I was at Troon for the uh, 2016 Open. It was the first major, first and only major I've ever attended to, and uh, it was an amazing experience, and it was an amazing day. Just getting up close to uh, Henrik Stenson, uh, I'm, who are, I'm a fan of both those guys, you know, Phil and Henrik, but Henrik uh, is just such a – can only think of one word to describe Henrik Stenson as a beast. Anyway, <laughs> he's a beast. What was the energy like in that crowd that day? Well, having not ever been to another major, I went to the Solheim Cup in September, but that's the only other big tournament that I've been to um, outside of the President's Cup at which you were at and I was at. It was unbelievable, but it was it was still very British, if you if how I'd say. Um, subdued and gentlemanly. Uh, it, it rose certainly, you know, with the excitement, you know, it was fever pitch by the end, but the whole week was just, it was very organised, it was very polite, you know, a lot of great people that I spoke to because they heard the Australian accent and just having chats all the way, and I was sort of in and out with, you know, walking around by, by myself mostly, but but that last day, I remember sitting uh, in one of the, the stands there behind the par five, I think Phil might have eagled at the first, maybe the fourth or the fifth hole, and it was just, you could see the people down the line to the fairway, and it was just ten deep. And that's when it really started to get phenomenal. And I think I got close to the guys once. I had to wait at the par three, maybe the 16th. I can't, your memory for things like that, my memory is not like that at all. So <laughs> the 16th, 15th, it's a par three. And uh, I think uh, Stenson birdied it. But I got close for that and it was just unbelievable. It's a, it gives me shivers, you know, thinking about it now. Yeah. But uh, it was. But you can imagine being in a big event like that in Scotland, you know, when, you know, you're a, Scottish Aussies type thing hanging around and it was just it was just a fun 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 week it was I, I loved it what a great open to be a part of as well because you think people would still brag and beat their chest that oh I was at Turnbury in 77 yeah when Jack and Tom went at it yeah and I feel like you can now beat your chest in like many years to come and you can say oh I was at Trin in 2016 when it, it was it was such a Weird one to watch because it got to the stage you didn't care who won. No, out of the two of them, yeah. because it was just it was like a heavyweight boxing match where all they done for twelve rounds was just punch each other. It was so yeah. so incredible to watch. Before we get on and start talking a little bit more about AIG and all of the other adventures that uh, you've been able to do since that time, that you just uh, told us very kindly about. You mentioned before about manifesting, about telling yourself what you wanted to achieve. Yeah. What does that mean for you on a day-to-day, you being you? Manifesting thing, the positivity, gratitude, because I know it's a big part of your makeup from, from knowing you, you know, reasonably well now. What, what does that mean and how can you share that with the people listening? I think you touched on it perfectly there when you just said a lot of it's gratitude, you know. I mean, a lot of it's hard work as well, but it's not like you just say I want a million dollars and get a million dollars. Like if that happened, I might not be doing what I'm doing because I'd be retired by now. But um, 
I think it's having a clear path. That's the thing. It's uh, I'm a big believer in, like you say, manifestation. Uh, I'm a big believer in the universe and uh, the powers, like kind of greater powers like that. Um, I'm not religious in any way, shape or form, but I am a believer in the power of the universe. And um, if you believe in something strongly enough and you can see it clearly enough and you're not afraid, I guess, to, I guess you're not afraid to see it. You know, that's the biggest thing. You're not afraid to put it out there that you deserve it and you deserve to receive it and you work hard towards that goal that it's not going to happen. And it's happened several times in my life to, to the point where I don't want to come across all kind of happy dippy and preachy, but to the point where it is living proof, like you say, how many tradesmen now get to travel the world, going to the most exclusive golf course in the world and filming golf. You know, it's, it's not something that happens overnight. And it happens so organically as well that I'd be crazy kind of not to believe in it. And there's been several things that the Masters, when Cassandra as well, I said, I'm going to go to the Masters. So I changed the um, screen on my laptop to Augusta National. And um, just imagine, so you just feel yourself being there, what it's going to be like to be there. And you just picture yourself clearly there. And then I think it was couple months later, I found out I was going to the Masters, which wasn't meant to happen at that time. Yeah, there's just, there's been, uh, as soon as I went to the Masters, well, changed my screen to the old course. I'm going to play the old course. I'm going to play. And obviously there's helping hands along the way, but yeah, it's just, I think it's just believing in yourself, being confident. Um, And I think as well as um, believing that you deserve to receive this, you know, and as it goes back to, gratitude and appreciation appreciation for the things that you have in your life kindness it's just um i just think it's the the way the way that i like to live my life and uh, the biggest takeaway for me out of all this is like the people you meet is just treat them with kindness and be grateful that you want me to come on your podcast you know gratitude kindness yeah. That's, I mean, I'm kind of sound like I'm ramming a little bit, but not, not, I have not, not it in a whole one video as well. Mm-hmm. Eric always used to say, do you think we'll ever get one? I was like, I have no doubt in my mind that we're going to get an ace on ace cam. I have no doubt in my mind. And he always just said, do you think you're ever going to get one, you know? And um, I was like, of course. It's the same. I always say to him, we always joke. Here's, a, here's another perfect example. Before he ever got his media accreditation for the Masters or anything, I said, do you know, we're going to play Augusta National one day? And he kind of laughed off. I was like, I'm dead serious. I don't even, this isn't something that I think is going to happen. This is something I know is going to happen. And um, we kind of joked about it. And then he messaged me and said, I have a media accreditation for uh, Augusta. And I said, you know what that means? I said, you're going to play Augusta on the Monday. And he said, I totally forgot that the media get to go in the lottery. And I says, you're going to play. I said, there's no doubt in my mind, 100% you're going to play. And he was the first name out of the hat. First name out of the hat. <laughs> and I, I think I was the first person. I woke up the next morning, I had a voice message from him uh, saying he was the first name out of the hat and he was going to play. And um, and then I says, all right, great. Now we just need to suss out how I'm going to get to yeah. play there. <laughs> I'm sure that'll happen, mate. I'm sure that'll happen. <laughs> 
The hole in one video, so you talked about it before and we may as well just come back to that now. For me, when I watched that, it changed my mindset. And I'm not a negative person, absolutely not, but, you know, I guess it goes back to, you know, my dour Scots nature, you know, the, the way that, you know, you learn things from your parents, um, you know, when they were dockside Edinburgh, you know, back post-war and all that sort of thing. It, it breeds a certain type of person. Oh, absolutely. And, and I had that stoic sort of traditional sort of Scottish sort of nature about me that, you know, exists. It's a thing. And as I said, I, w- I wouldn't say I'm negative, but, you know, like I would – I had a hole in one in 1987, a long time ago. But since then I was like, yeah, I'm probably not going to have another one. I'm probably – and I haven't had another one. But it was after your video and you talked about, you know, it's just when, not if. And I thought, you know what? He's right. And since then, I guess Ace Cam has got a lot to do with it as well because, you know, as I've become a little bit more active in, you know, trying to promote golf and, you know, it's part of my life now and, and I always wanted to do golf. I was – golf for a living for me wasn't a thing until, you know, five or six years ago. So that happened. But the hole-in-one, I now think every chance is an opportunity to have a hole-in-one. And I've had more lip-outs. I've had maybe three lip-outs for a hole-in-one. I've had more – foot-long birdie putts in the last 12 or 18 months than the 12 or 18 years before that. And yeah. it's just I'm sure it's mindset that when I stand on the tee that I'm telling myself I'm going to have a hole-in-one. And I don't care if it doesn't happen, but I'm going to have a hole-in-one and it's sooner rather than later away. Before, I'll tell you before what I used to do is, is tell people a story. I go, and this hole-in-one had come up and it's a bit of a joke between Jamie and myself, um, my mate in the Mental Mastery podcast, and uh, – I'd say, oh, you know what? Put a seven iron in my hands, 160 out from on the par five, and I'll stick it in tight for a birdie or, or whatever. But put two T markers beside me, and I go to water. Yeah. And I, and I sat back and thought, why would you say that to yourself? Why do you say, you know? So now I'm I'm going to have a hole in one and get the camera on because I want it on video. And I've had ni- so many near misses, and it's just a matter of time. So, in uh, in a great part, I've got you to thank for that. Oh, oh, thanks. I mean, that means the world. So, um, <laughs> Hopefully you actually convert one these days. Well, then it, just it, it, you know what? It doesn't really bother me if it doesn't, but I just know that it, the reality is it's closer and it will it will happen yeah. and uh, it's uh, it's not too far away. Now, let's go back to your hole-in-one. Why are you looking back on the hole-in-one video? Because I look at our reaction and I'm like, why are you jumping around like an idiot? You knew this would happen. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, well, I watched it last night and I watched it again this morning and you weren't jumping around like an idiot, but you all were. You all were jumping around. Like everyone was jumping and uh, it clearly meant so much to everyone there. Did it nearly not happen? Like it seemed to me like you weren't really playing. Yeah, so day. it was uh, for a few of the rounds there, it was um, especially that one because how many people get to play Cape Kidnappers, you know? Yeah. Like. That's not a, that's a bucket list experience, obviously. So when we had a four ball at Kate Kidnappers, we kind of said, let's put a call out. Because essentially we're there to work, you know? Mm-hmm. So we said, let's put the call out, see who wants a dream round at Kate Kidnappers kind of thing. And um, they'll take Colt and I's spot. So we put the call out and then obviously if you watch the video, you see we had Kyle that um, came down He's a, he works in a law firm and he had to say, I think famously, I think people have quoted him now. He says, I've got some life to live. He told his <laughs> So he took the day off and drove down and uh, 
his sister and a couple of his friends drove down as well and spent the day uh, down there while he played golf uh, and then yelled the Nepalese guy that uh, just couldn't get the smile off his face. Just a beautiful guy. Kyle and Yell, still to this day we talk about, you couldn't have picked two better guys to come down and play golf with us, you know. Yell drove six hours down from Auckland to play with us. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole day just had such a magical feel about it as it was. So Colt and I were just teeing up on par threes to have a crack at the par threes to hopefully get an ace. So obviously the four ball had finished and they went to kind of walk on. And that's why we're like, hang on, Colt and I have to hit, you know? Yeah. So that was kind of how it all came about. But that was a magical day, even without that. It was a really special day because we had Kyle showed up in a pair of jeans and a Hawaiian shirt, no belt. Did he have the the, the bulldog bulldog clip? What was was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bulldog hat. (laughs) The bulldog hat. He shows up and says, I don't even have a three-wood. Can I borrow a three-wood from the pro show? <laughs> <laughs> and then he, then he steps on the first tee, birdies number one. And uh, from then on out, you just knew it was going to be a magical day out in the links. Yeah. Sure enough, it was. Yeah, it was, it was a great day. Had you been to New Zealand before then? Never. Never. No. I can't believe the contrast between the two islands as well. The South and the North Island are totally different countries almost. I've only been to Queenstown and around that area of Otago, across, drove across to Dunedin and then back around and I've been there twice, once for work in the car industry and that was phenomenal because I got to fly in helicopters as you did and uh, and then the next time I took uh, Alex, uh, my wife, there because the reason why we went there for a holiday is because it was just such a beautiful place but you get off there at Queenstown and you look up at the mountains and you look around and it just reminded me of Scotland a little bit, and I just I remember getting off the off the um, out of the airport and ringing her, saying, "This place is just insanely beautiful. It just reminds me of being in Scotland." She says, "Oh, you have to take me," and I, of course, and then we went back there. And but what a place uh, New Zealand is! Flying into Queenstown Airport is an experience in itself, isn't it? Yeah, it's right uh, through the mountains. Yeah, uh, it really is incredible. We talked about the hole in one. Everyone should watch that video on Eric Anders Lang uh, YouTube site through the dozens and dozens of videos there and you'll see it very clearly Stuart has a hole in one it's one of the all-time great golf watches that you'll uh, that you'll see so go and see that if you haven't already but let's AIG so you came in as part of the team what season two season two yeah season two. yeah the beginning of season two season one had just I think season one maybe just finished production when I joined um, Eric's team and then season two happened we used to it used to be quite a big crew of us. There was probably six of us on each shoot. And then as we got into season three, we went to do the Thailand and Nepal episodes. And uh, Eric says, let's try it just with myself, Eric and David, our director of photography. And we could, that was kind of an experimental um, situation and it just worked. And it just, like the three of us are best friends and to... So I was actually messaging with David yesterday. He sent through a bunch of photos from uh, when we were in Iceland and whatnot. And I couldn't imagine doing it with anyone else because so I was just saying to David, the experiences that we've actually shared together, it builds such a friendship that it's hard to describe to anyone that hasn't been through it. You think about a life event or something that you've shared with someone and you always have that bond, you know, that one, that, that boy's golf trip that you all went to and you had the best weekend ever on that one trip. We're doing that every year. We're 
getting to see the midnight sun in Iceland or getting to like sit at the base of the Himalayas and play golf or getting to all these completely surreal experiences that in no right you should be having and we're doing dozens of them and always just between the three of us and it's one of those times that you really sit back and you go is this is this real life and we've done that together so many times that it creates such a unique bond between us and we love what we do obviously we love finding the stories we love the people that we meet the places that we visit and um so up until probably i think season three and season four we shot that show more or less just the three of us occasionally we'd have a local fixer on the ground but more or less it was eric david and i david seems like a man of few words does he have a different persona off camera than he does when he's really really on camera i think david speaks through his art yeah he's one of the most professional uh hard-working sweetest sweetest guys i know he's one of my very best friends you know he's so so good at what he does as you can see i mean the proof of the pudding he can the his cinematography is just unbelievable and uh he's he's a quiet guy david but once you crack the surface when we go we we share a room every every place we go so i like to think i know him as well as anyone and um he's just the most beautiful guy on earth you know and once you crack that shell he's absolutely hilarious <laughs> i guess it's going to be hard to pick but you know what are your top memories of the seasons of adventures in golf so far one of the things that sticks out for me is and is in the most recent series so you went from africa and then you went up to paris and if i remember rightly you you lost all your gear yeah we lost um we lost all of our gear in morocco Mm -hmm. morocco everything went missing so it was a it was a bit of a nightmare luckily we had um i think we only maybe had one camera that was checked and some batteries we lost uh a couple of other bits and pieces, but we still had cameras there and a few batteries and some sound gear, but it definitely made it. It was at the end of the trip as well. So we were already kind of tired and it was hard to get motivated when we had no clothing, no nothing. Every one of our bags went missing. We had six bags that disappeared. So um, that was a tough one. That was uh, Morocco. But yeah, we had had just been in uh, Paris, went up to Dunkirk and done the geometrical golf course. Um, but Morocco was a tough one. But that's just part and parcel of it, you know. It's, the show's called Adventures in Golf. No, it's not called, like, luxury lifestyles in golf. <laughs> I just supposed had to, to lose all your gear and shoot it all on an iPhone. That's kind of part of what's in the description. So I just had a bit, uh, had in my mind that you lost all your camera gear, and I was thinking, how, how would you recover from that? But obviously... Yeah, that's your, they're they're your tools, so they come with. Here we go. So this is actually, we should preface that. Before we go, we went, I think, the route that we went on that trip was South Africa, Israel, oh no, South Africa, Egypt, Israel, Morocco. In South Africa, we were robbed. We had uh, two, that's what happened originally. So two of our camera bags were actually stolen out of our car and we lost a, ton of gears which we had to replace and then we got to places and they wouldn't let you into some of these countries with drones so we had no drones and then so it was just like i say it's adventures in golf ross it's uh it's how you overcome it 
you know, <laughs> yeah. never complain, just keep going. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. You just keep going and you just make what you can with the best that you have, you know. So then out of all of those places, what's been, you know, what are the top three highlights? Is there a top three or is it, you know, what sticks out? What's in that savant memory like that comes out that says, this is unbelievable? Nepal. Nepal. Nepal, yeah. yeah. I always think that's the one place I would go back to, um, especially because I don't know if you've seen the Himalayan golf course episode. Yeah. We weren't even supposed to be there at that time. We had went there to do a story on a Pratima Sherpa, who a lot of people know of now, um, the young Nepalese girl that was, had hopes of going pro and she didn't have a passport, she couldn't leave the country, all that. And it was just an amazing story. And when we were there, filming with Pratima, everyone seemed to mention this golf course in Pokhara. So, yeah, we booked flights the next day and flew up there and it was easily the most the most incredible place I've ever been in my entire life. This golf course and 200 feet down in the middle of a crevice surrounded by the Himalayas. Like, that was one of those moments I was saying the three of us kind of looked at each other. We were sitting there with the... Uh, designer, the architect of the course, and we were sitting at a table right on the cliff edge of the golf course, surrounded by the Himalayas, and there was a rainbow, and we were drinking coffee, and it was like, is this real life? Yeah. You know, like views that you just would never imagine in a million years, and the Nepalese people were so beautiful, and the food was incredible, and that's always, that one always sticks out to me as the one place I would, I would love to go back there and spend a bit of time in Nepal. It was incredible. The golf up in the Arctic Circle, that was another one for me. That you know, playing, Just getting up in the middle, middle of the night and going out and playing golf at 2am 2, 2 and just driving and uh, popping the drone up. It must be hard for a lot of people to get their head around, but it's, uh, that's what it's like up there. I, I've never been that far north, so you know, I, I was freaked out at that 2016 Open time. It was the first time I'd been in Scotland in summer, and I woke up at 3am or 3.30am and I could see the light through the um, curtains and going, oh great, must be time to wake up and I went, jeez, it's 3am <laughs> get back to bed and I couldn't go back to bed, it ruined me for a day but that was that was no issue but uh, it doesn't get dark up there at that time of year. Well it was funny you saying about Scotland, that was the hardest part about being at the Open last year to try and get photos of the sunrise and sunset the course yeah. wasn't open at sunrise yeah. and sunset isn't till 11 o'clock at night, Yeah. so I was getting to the course at maybe six in the morning, the sun had been up for two hours and then I was having to stay there till 11 o'clock at night to get the sunset. It was, it was insane. But yeah, the twice we've done the uh, 24 hours daylight. We had um, Iceland, which when we were there in the middle of summer, went to the very northern tip of Iceland and it was 24 hours of daylight, which we didn't know how to act because there's golf everywhere and the golf is incredible there. So it was 2 a.m. We hadn't slept and forever and we were going but why wouldn't we be golfing <laughs> how often can you golf at two o'clock in the morning yeah. you know so we done it then and then again we went to Lofoten Links up in very northern Norway which again was just mine again Ross it's how you can't put these experiences into words it's until you're there living it you can't put it any word but I think we've agreed that we're never going to do that again because the 24 hours of sunlight really messes with you yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> you I guess, know? You know, most golfers would say oh that's a dream to play golf 24 hours a day but uh great to watch it was great to watch and everyone should really go and watch these videos if you if you haven't i'm sure most of you already have but go and watch uh, all of 
the Adventures in Golf videos on Eric's channel. It's uh, fabulous stuff. The other fabulous stuff that captivated me and probably I've watched the most and, and probably rewatched the most is the trip to Scotland and that whole journey. And, yeah. and you were a, a part of a good part of that, not all of it, but um, when that came about, when the guys over there, when JD conceived that um, concept and they obviously, you know, part of the promotional strategy and maybe we can talk about that because it's still unsure to me how, you know, these challenges come come about, like that Scotland one. Um, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, well, there's only one, there's only one group of guys that you would get to go and do that and do that job really well and that was you guys. And... <laughs> It was like a competition. How did all that come about? Yeah, that was um, – so Jamie Darling, who kind of runs the Scotland Home of Golf page and uh, Ayrshire Golf, he does a, he's kind of the head of – I'm not entirely – I don't want to say Jamie's title wrong, but he kind of oversees a lot of the Ayrshire Golf. Let's give, him a, let's give him a shout-out because he's a great guy. He's a great guy, Jamie. He really is. And he's a really forward thinker and he understands the power of social media and how to get – like these places names on the maps kind of thing in the golfing world where when you go to where do you want to play when you go to Scotland everyone wants to play the old course of that but who knows to go and play places like Murka Links who knows to play Brora which is my favourite all those places were so special and Jamie's he does have such a kind of grand idea for how he can make all this work and he put the call out for this um, I guess it was a competition yeah are you a content creator would you and from memory, I can't remember how it all came about. I was in Adelaide at the time, and I think maybe uh, Christian Hafer, Hafelife, who I'm sure everyone knows, a uh, fantastic photographer, obviously. Um, Hafer had said to Eric, you should enter this, we should do this kind of thing. And um, so sure enough, Eric and Colt made a little video and sent it through to Jamie and then got the call up and Eric phoned me and says, we're going to Scotland to play golf. Do you want to come? And... I mean, what kind of question is that, yeah. you know? So um, at the time, Hafer went for the kind of first half of the trip and then I uh, tagged on the second half and Christian and I overlapped a couple of days and uh, it was just, ugh, I just can't even put any words. That was another one of no sleep, endless golf and you wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. You know, the people you met and the places you went were just on another level. Now, you mentioned before uh, we were chatting that you get a lot of satisfaction out of the people that do talk to you and reminisce about the St Andrews video. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember I was only a metre from here where, I, where I'm where i sitting now. I watched it. I had the laptop on my lap watching that video and you know, having met you and then also having met uh, Jack at that stage, it was just – it was a beautiful moment. And, yeah, I, I got it. I got a small uh, small tear. Uh, I'm, I'll be I'm big <coughs> enough to admit that it, uh, you know – just made me well up with a bit of emotion um, because I think for me, I remember journaling once in my school, post-school, university days, we had to do a writing exercise and I wasn't playing a lot of golf back then but I do remember writing something about St Andrews and my dream is to play St Andrews with my dad, my brother and my son. I think my son might have only been just born. He's now 20. Unfortunately, not a golfer but uh, it still could happen. Yeah. You got to do it, but you didn't know you were going to do it. No idea. No idea whatsoever. I mean, I still tear up every time I watch that. That is whole thing, how Eric planned that whole thing, and is something that 
dad and I have, we literally have it immortalized in video now, you know, yeah. something that it's not just something that we can look back on and remember together. We can actually watch it back and remember it together. And the whole day was just, it's, it's the little things you look back on and you kind of notice that we're a little off from the guys, you know, but you're just so oblivious to it because you're there in the moment. But then you look back and you see the little things that, oh yeah, like, how did I not pick up on that kind of thing? And even when, even when Rob, uh, the American guy that lives in St. Andrews now that kind of took us out on the old course, great guy. He, we couldn't ask for a better guy to take us out. He was the same. So positive, just really appreciative. Let us do our own thing. He was just so, so great, Rob. And um, even when he was sitting in the bar, we were sitting in uh, uh, the Dunvegan and when he says we have a, when he said, I said to him, I think, how do you go about getting tea times? And he said, oh, we have a four ball this afternoon. And I just thought he meant for him and his mates. And I was like, oh, cool. Good for you. <laughs> Why are you telling me? You know? <laughs> and um, Eric kind of says, did you hear what he said? And I was like, yeah. Like thinking, yeah, he's got a four ball for him and his mates. Like, I'm very happy for you. And, uh, and then, Rob says, obviously, we have a four ball at the old course, and you'll be playing the old course. And then that had been a dream of mine, obviously. But a little backstory I mean, it's a dream for every golfer. It's the holy, it's the ultimate pilgrimage, you know. And um, a little backstory on it was that uh, we used to spend our summers in St. Andrews uh, growing up. We'd go down there, mum and dad, and uh, the family, and we'd go down with like my uncle, who's a keen golfer, and uh, a few of dad's friends that were keen golfers as well at the time, and we were kids at the time, so we'd go and we'd play the, uh, like we'd go on the putting course down there by the old course. We'd go on the putting course. Dad and all his friends would go and play golf for the weekend, and um, we would just hang about the town of St Andrews, which is the most magical place in the world. But even then, my dad had still never played the old course. They had played the new, the Jubilee. They had kind of done all the surrounding courses, but never played the old course. So that was already a very special place for dad and I, as we had memories of my childhood there, um, of walking on there, because obviously it's a public course. You can just walk on at the golf course. So we had memories of standing on the 18th tee box, walking across the first and the 18th fairways. But... And watching the golfers come up, you know, you stand at the fence here, you watch the golfers come up. So to then be told that you were going to be playing it was a dream come true. I got my first set of golf clubs from Achterlonies, uh, which is next door to the yeah. uh, Dunvegan. That was my first set of golf clubs that my dad bought me in St. Andrews when I was a kid, a little half set. So then to obviously walk down knowing that you're going to play, you walk around the corner and you see the old course right there in the middle of the town. And you know you're about to be teeing it up and I get chills just thinking about it, you know. And then obviously to walk around and see dad there was just, it, I couldn't have asked for anything more, yeah. you know. It just made the already perfect day even more perfect um, to see dad and just the shock of it all. Like, do, you remember, I was, do you remember what your response was? Were you doing here? <laughs> you did, yeah. <laughs> Because I had just been told, so I was like, wait, but they just told me two seconds ago that I was playing. How did you get here? And to, I had no idea what he was doing there. I thought maybe he had kind of come through, maybe with his friends and they were playing the new course. I don't, I just, I just, it did not click. And when he said, I'm here for a, I think he says, I'm here for a game of golf. 
And um, yeah, that was when the water work started because it was just one of the most incredible moments of my life and I know of dad's life as well. Yeah. Um, and then setting out in the first tee and all four of us had great tee shots in the first, which is the most nerve-wracking tee shot in golf, I think, because you get everyone from the town down just sitting watching you on that first tee box and um, and then oh, it was just the most magical day I've ever had in a golf course, ever. I don't think it will ever be topped, you know. Yeah. I don't the whole circumstance of it all, I don't think there's anything that could ever top that. It is that magical, special place that you that you mention, and I've only been fortunate enough to be um, to play the old course once a long time ago um, with a young fellow from just down the road here who was a, ca- a a caddy there at the time, and he was over there caddying. But he was from Mornington, just down the road, and we played uh, there. We had a, a late time, and it's one of those moments in life that you wish you could rewind and and not do it differently, but just rewind and not stop and just keep yeah. keep on play. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I've been back, but I've never played. I've just never had the opportunity to go and play. I've probably played around there, but not there. On that trip, what were some of the other courses that are the lesser knowns that you know stood out for you? Brora for yeah. me, yep, is always the number one. Yeah, can I? Besides, always like playing old courses, such a magical experience. You do feel like you're stepping back in time and whatnot, and. The course is so well maintained and so pristine that you know it's a top, top, top course. We had headed up to the north, so we kind of left St Andrews and made our way up the east coast. Uh, stopped off at Murcar and Royal Aberdeen. Royal Aberdeen was incredible. One of the, one of the most incredible front lines in golf. I think that's getting a bit more recognition now, as it should, because that golf course is nothing short of incredible. We've done Trump and all those, and then got to Dornock, which obviously everyone has high expectations of Dornock. Everyone knows Royal Dornock, incredible. And I had heard about Brora, and then it was one of the last stops on the trip. And when we got there, from the second you drove into the car park, it was like you had just stepped back in time. It was not in a bad way. I don't mean like it's going to a place and it's like, well, you guys stuck in the 80s or what? It was more like, whoa, this this place has history. This place has some really, really strong vibes. And that was um, the golf course. Is they've cut they've cut all the grass, all the grass in the rough. The rough isn't super long, so it's really, really playable. There's cows and sheep roaming the course. The little electric fences around the greens. It's a great layout. It's a James Braid old kind of out and in links. All the par threes are tremendous. And there was a real sense that was like that was more of a kind of experience. That was like an emotional experience playing that golf course. It's it's hard to put words on it. And I've never really heard anyone say a bad word about Broda when you get it. It's one of those things you maybe you don't get it until you get there. And we had a great and I think that was the first maybe the first game that we had played it was just the kind of four of us that were on the trip uh, Christian had left by this time it was just myself uh, Matthew Galloway who joined us late on the trip Eric and Colt and it was just the four of us and we just had time to decompress and enjoy this marvellous Lynx golf courses like you wouldn't have been a, you were kind of looking off and you can see the kind of hills surrounding it and you wouldn't have been surprised to see guys in kilts sharpening their claymores 
it was like you had kind of, you know, yeah. it was just, um, it was an experience that you don't, not many places have. It had a real sense of uh, magic about the place that's hard to put into words. Had you ever been up there before? Never, never. never. Yeah. No, I don't think I've ever been that high. The furthest north I think I'd been was Aberdeen at that time. Uh, never been as far up as Brora or anything. Well, I never have, and I honestly can't wait. There's there, and the other part that I was trying to get to in September is over to the um, Macrahanish and over that side of town. Uh, oh, that side wow. of the yeah. So I'd love to get across there, but um, yeah. Macrahanish Dunes has that kind of vibe as well. It's funny because Macrahanish Dunes is the newer court. Macrahanish Old is, is incredible as well. I mean, a lot of people say it's the best opening tee shot in golf, but the dunes as well, that's a newer course, but it feels like it's been there for hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, they don't use any pesticides or anything. There's no chemicals on that golf course. It's all natural. So there's little imperfections in the ground that make it perfect. They're perfect imperfect imperfections, you know? And that is a fun, fun golf course. The rolling dunes in that place are just incredible. So it's over on the west coast. So it's the other side of, uh, you know, Broar is up the top and Macrahanish mm-hmm. and Macrahanish Dunes is over on the west coast. It's not far from the, as the crow flies from Glasgow, but it's maybe what, a four hour, four and a bit hour drive or something like that? Yeah, three and a half, four hour drive. Yeah, up and around. Yeah, we, we got the ferry there and then we drove back. Right. But yep. it's, yeah, it's not far at all. But obviously it's in the middle of Kintyre. So it's a little peninsula that kind of hangs out the side of the west coast. And uh, the Isle of Arran's right in the middle of it. Um, and there's some great golf on there as well. You get Shiskin, we twelve hole gem. There's these places in Scotland that people maybe now they're getting a little more recognition um, that they deserve. Uh, but they're the courses that you step on and you're like, oh, this game has been played for a long time. Yeah. You know, that's they're the magical moments. So, what do you think golf can learn from golf in Scotland? Do you think that that's, well, that's a thing? That's a great question. I think it's fine now. I think it's getting uh, maybe in the last 10 years or so, I think that people are learning from the, the old links courses of uh, Scotland and Ireland and golf isn't all that it's televised. It's not a high ball, stop it and spin it, you know? Um, and I think evidence that it's going the way that Scotland kind of, the, the game was intended to be played, or when you go to places like Barnboogle and uh, Wickham, the most popular destinations now, it's almost like cool and hip to be going and playing Lynx golf, you know? Yeah. People, the top of people's bucket list these days is your band and dunes, like Tarahiti's got that old, like, bump and run game. Obviously, Tom Doak's a big part in these designs, like the old school throwback. Even when you go to... Uh, Peninsula Kingswood, you, well, you remember, Ross, that playing the North Coast there, it felt, being there, it felt like destination golf in the city. That's how I kind of saw it, because a lot of these places are not easy to get to. Barnboogle's not easy to get to. Kate, uh, Ocean Dunes, Cape Wickham, they're not easy to get to. Bandon Dunes, that's not easy to get to. Yeah. People will travel for it, but Peninsula Kingswood felt like that was magical enough but it was close to the city. So you got yeah. you got to come down there in December when you were down here for the President's Cup, and obviously Eric was out here playing a lot of golf, and you played – you guys did all the golf together. That's, is that right? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah we played uh, a lot of it together. He played Kingston Heath on the Sunday, I think. Yeah. Um, that was the only course that we didn't play together, but we done all the sand belt and headed down to the Mornington Peninsula, you know, and I mean, the golf in Melbourne's outside of maybe Scotland Island and even probably just outside of Scotland Island, it's probably the best collection of golf in the world for such a condensed area, yeah. I think. If you look at that sand belt, I mean, Royal Melbourne, King, Royal Melbourne was showcased so well during the President's Cup. I think people really got to understand the magic of Royal Melbourne during that tournament. Um, I think I was listening, I think I heard... Jeff Ogilvie talking about it, saying how that golf course is set up to reward the best golfer and who's the best golfer all week, Tiger. You know, he just knows how to play the game of golf. And that's what Royal Melbourne is just a gem yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but that Kingston Heath Metropolitan blew me away when we went there as well. Having to land the ball 10 yards short of the green to have any chance of staying on the green. Like, put that golf course in America and I think their minds would be blown. They yeah. wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, because they're so used to these kind of receptive greens and I think they would get a real kick out of it. Yeah, that whole, I mean, there's so many good good golf courses in Melbourne. So I take, you, I take it you enjoyed Peninsula Kingswood? Fantastic, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the north. We only played, uh, only played the north, so I look forward to getting back down and playing the south. Two different, two different 18s and both very enjoyable and a lot of people ask me, as they know I'm a member there, what's, what's the best course? And I say, well, I can't, say that there's a best there's just two different great fantastic golf courses i think there's one that everyone sort of gravitates towards wanting to play as a first timer but you know for me it's like picking your favorite kid you know they're both great yeah. great golf courses with absolutely great features different different strategy different uh, architecture similar in style but different architecture and just um just really fabulous i really you know like you talk about those moments in time and you know we had met previously but i'd never met eric before and I didn't know exactly what day you were going there. I knew you were going there because you'd mentioned it. And I saw in your story and I was had to pick something up in Frankston, which is just down the road from there. I thought, oh, you know, bugger it. I'll just go across there and say good day. And I nearly never did it because I thought, oh, no, I shouldn't. get. I'll get in the way. I thought, I'm just playing golf. You know, you remember. And it was a, I was so happy that I went and just walked out there, pulled up. I knew exactly where to pull up because I sort of figured you'd be on the fourth there, catch up for a few holes, walk a few holes, chat with Eric, chat with Clates and Lucas Michelle. I'd never met Lucas Michelle before then. What a great young man and young golfer he is. Impressed with Lucas, he's an amazing guy. Yeah, and he'll 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 get his chance to get to the Masters in November. Not obviously this weekend, but uh, yeah. I've been thinking a lot about him. Yeah, uh, with everything that's gone on, you know. But I was really I was really happy that um that I just got to you know see you playing at my home course and have a bit of a chat and you know you were kind enough to introduce me to Eric and Eric was very hospitable and very engaging as you'd expect him to be and as he is. And, uh, yeah, it was a nice couple of hours just uh, hanging out there and watching you guys play at my course. It was really cool. What a great course to be a member of, Ross, i tell you what. Very lucky, very lucky. That day was a very, very big day in another aspect of what you guys do because it was the morning of the Melbourne RGC. And was it that day? Yeah, it was that day. It was that night. And I, th I think I remember um, talking to Eric and saying, look, how many how many people we got coming tonight, Eric? And he says, you know, we got 90. He said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But we got ninety, and I, I was like ninety. And what a great day in golf that was for here in Melbourne, but for the RGC, you know, in general. And RGC started before that day in Melbourne. What's your 
take on the RGC. How do you describe it? If someone hasn't heard of RGC and it stands for Random Golf Club, you know, you've got the snowball hat on, I've got the uh, the Randomoo hat on, and I've got my you can't see it because I'm a bit dark there, but I've got my Random Golf Club hoodie on. <laughs> so I'm dressed. I'm dressed for the meeting appropriately uh, today, Stu. What does RGC mean for you? What does it mean for me? Yeah. Uh, He's all put me in a spot there. It's uh, inclusivity. Yeah. It's um, friendship. It's uh, meeting new people and showing them what the game of golf is really all about. Yeah. That's what it is for me. If someone says, "What's RGC?" I don't know. Go get your clubs and I'll show you. Yeah. You know. Turn up. Turn up tomorrow at seven o'clock and I'll show you. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. but I mean, you look at. I mean, thinking back to the the very first kind of official RGC that was also at um, Royal Park, Royal Park in the city there, and I think we had ten or twelve people come from that. This is just the power of golf and the power of people. I love meeting people, and Eric's the same, and like sharing stories with people. And that very first time, like every single guy that was there on the first day, I still talk to. Yeah. I still when I'm in like. Mike Caridi and all those guys, like he came down to Adelaide, they go and catch up with him, you know. Uh, every time I'm in Melbourne, I see Roger, and we had no idea who each other were until we all decided to show up on a tee box and, and yeah, just go from there. And I guess it's the, that's the that's the biggest thing for me about what we do is the people that we meet because I'm so interested in people. Yeah. I'm a people watcher. Cassandra always kind of catches me, and I'm I always just I'm really intrigued, you know, like about people's backstory and. Even if I'm just walking down the street, I'm I'm so observant of people around me, which I'm sure looks pretty creepy at times. But <laughs> I think it's just because I'm intrigued about what they do and who they are. And RGC is the perfect platform to find out without being a creep. <laughs> I, I, I ask you, what do you do? You know, what brings you here? Yep. Well, it's uh, just having conversations with people and finding out and just learning and exploring and, and engaging with people. I remember that day of the first IGC and I was at work, which is in the city, literally maybe three kilometres from Royal Park. And it was a cold day. It was overcast and a little wet. And I had the intention of going. And for some reason, I got busy at, in the store. You know, I'm in a retail business, as you know, and it's depending on people. And I just couldn't, ha- I couldn't get the opportunity to sneak out. I saw the photo. And there was a couple of guys in there that I recognised. Ahmed, you know, a regular visitor to me in the store playing indoor golf. Uh, there was Daniel. So, you know, I play a lot of golf with Daniel now. But since then, if I go back to that original photo, which is one of the classic golf photos, you know, Eric's got his hand up in that iconic position at Royal Park in front of the train line. Mike Caridi yep. had a game of golf with Mike and some of his mates a few weeks ago. Matt Mollica. Oh, Matt. Yeah, how can you forget Marshy? Went down to uh, Kingston Heath. Uh, Matt had his rollback event down there at Kingston Heath about a month ago. Went down there and had a game of golf with Matt. That was fantastic. Uh, Tommy Cotoggio, so the guy, young fellow in the pro shop. He's also a oh, member. Oh, yeah, yeah. Young Tom's Tom, a, yeah. He's Tom, a member of PK, right? Tom's a member of Peninsula Kingswood. Play a lot of golf with Tom. Uh, Tom's got a great routine on a Thursday. You'll find him down there on the range. And he times his run perfectly because he knows the gym at the golf club shuts at nine o'clock. So he'll belt balls on the range until 8.55 and then, <laughs> and then take off and get into the gym because he knows once they're in there that his swipe card gets him in. So he's got this great little uh, – who uh, Roger Paul, I don't know Roger so well, but I, I, I have met Roger and we have um, – he was down at the Matt Mollica's day. Mike um, and a couple of others there that are in there. But, you know, as you say, I didn't know really anyone – 
and now I'm here playing golf and friends with those guys and it's really through you know the connection that RGC has brought that exactly as you articulate that it's just networking with people and growing friendships and growing relationships that are all built around this great game so it's, yeah because you already have that commonality and that you all love golf but, you know but not some people all you need is just one thing to connect with someone that that day for me you know I've trying to build you know a business and a life around golf in a different way to you are and you know it relies on people playing the game and that day after Peninsula, when we went down to Royal Park and there was 90 people there, for me that was like, golf's okay. You know, yeah. golf's, golf's doing good. You know, like people say, oh, golf this, golf that. And you look at there's 90 people, young people, and there's some old guys. I was an old, I was probably one of the older guys there, but there's a whole broad cross-section of boys, girls. You know, that's I look back and go, no, we're okay. If this is the future of golf, you know, we're in a good spot with this, with a concept like this, with people wanting to come and share golf in three 30 balls. Like three 30 balls. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But it works. <laughs> so uh, it, was a, it was a great day. What did, after we that day... Abs- we were absolutely buzzing off of that day yeah. for such a long time, you know? I was just going to say, you know, after that day, what happened? You know, what was the, the digestion of, of that, that day? You know, finished, <sighs> we finished about 10 o'clock and we all left and no one wanted to leave, but everyone, yeah. you know, left. And what was it like afterwards? We were... So we all left. I think we were exhausted because, as you've just reminded me, we played uh, Peninsula Kingswood in the morning and, and then went there. And it was such a high of highs to see so many smiling faces and meet so many new people. And when we left, I just remember for the days after, I think we left there and Cassandra and I went back to our hotel. Eric and uh, that went back and I think went in the hotel, quickly got changed. And I think I went to the pub with my mum and dad. <laughs> and we just kind of talked about it over a beer, you know, and then the next day I remember talking to Terry. I can't remember if we got up a breakfast or not, but or he was leaving maybe that next day. But I just remember we were just buzzing about it, messaging each other, uh, but how much of a great day it was. I think if there's one place that you can have an event like that, it's in Melbourne. Um, because the people in Melbourne love sport, they love their golf. Yeah. And Australians in general just seem to show up, you know. Like it's evident. Look at the Presidents Cup. How amazing an event was a Presidents Cup. Australians love events, <laughs> you know. And uh, that the aftermath. All I can really remember the aftermath of that was straight away. Yeah. Let's do it again. It's like getting on. A, it's like getting on a roller coaster, right? Like you get on a roller coaster with all the loops and twists and turns, and you get straight off, and you're exhausted, and you go, "Oh my god, let's get straight back on. When Yo. can we do the next one?" Well, I guess that morning before when, you know, Eric goes, we've got 90 people, you know, that's, that was like in the lineup for that roller coaster when you're not sure what's going to happen, but uh, you, you, you're, you're, in, you're 100% in and uh, it's going to be exciting, but you don't know what the ride's going to throw up at you. There's been a few RGCs since, uh, in Houston and uh, there's one over at uh, Winter Park. Which one did you go to yep. recently? The one in LA? You were uh, in- I was in one in LA. Yeah, one in LA. Was it? And they're all, they're, they're all, different in their own yeah. way but they're all exactly the same yeah it doesn't matter what your background is they're all the same it doesn't matter what country you're in they're all the same um so it's it's a unique experience that yeah, it's fun to be a part of that's for sure i've only good memories from every single one of them well it's a great concept once again if you haven't heard about the rgc the random golf club it's you can check that out online and the uh on eric's uh, youtube channel there's some great videos there and uh and one 
I think, uh, I don't know if you had anything to do with the editing process of the Melbourne RGC video, but I got a little speaking cameo. I did. If I had anything to do with editing, you wouldn't have been in there, mate. Oh, thanks. Very <laughs> good on you. <laughs> I, I, I woke up and I had about four messages from uh, from some of the guys going, hey, you're on the video. What, what video? Oh, right, the RGC. There you go. It was so uh, bad. Yeah, it was nice. Hey, people, you were in there, Roscoe. It, it was good. Anyway, hey, um, <laughs> I'm conscious of your time, mate. You've been very, very generous. One of the things that uh, I quite often see us looking at similar times and, and liking when we talk about Instagram is uh, Scottish patter. Love it. Love it. That's my page. It's <laughs> There's nothing like that. So when you're in Scotland with the guys, you know, did you give them a full introduction to the ins and outs of you know, being in Scotland, you know, the local culture, the local cuisine, some of the drinks, some of... Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the they were on the Iron Brew every day. We definitely had fry-ups for breakfast every morning, that's for sure. And um, how did that go down? I understand. I always say it's uh, Scottish Tourette's because every second word's effort. <laughs> I an interesting article um, this week that they, they think they've traced back the origin of the effort. Not sure if I'm allowed to swear on your podcast, Ross, but oh, you they've traced it back to Scotland. Really? Yeah. The first ever written word, I think it was, uh, fuck it. Someone wrote it, and way, way back when, the earliest record that they can find came from Scotland. I thought, well, that's just fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> we invent everything. Oh, well, absolutely. Even even the, uh, you know, like even some of the stuff that Australia's uh, claimed along the, the journey has always been traced back to Scotland, you know, like an... I would well, like Russell Crowe? Say that again? <laughs> like Russell Crowe? Russell, <laughs> ACDC? You claim, you claim everything. Yeah, exactly right. ACDC, who else? Um, Jimmy Barnes, you know, good Adelaide. Good Adelaide lad. As Glaswegian as it comes, Jimmy yeah, Barnes. Yeah. He's still got half his accent left. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> did, you ha- did you get a hard time um, when you moved across here as an 18-year-old for your accent? Was there anything happening there? I don't think so. No? I don't think so. Um, when you get to that age, especially when you're playing football, yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of the boys kind of half expect it anyway. It's, there's a lot of the, the club that I was down playing at, there's a lot of uh, different nationalities and backgrounds there. You know, I was playing with guys from uh, Croatia, I was playing with guys from England, I was playing with guys from, from Sudan, I was playing like there was all kind of different types of nationalities, races, religions. So we were like a big band of misfits. Can we have some fun with some Scottish words just to lighten the load? Towards oh. the end of the end of the podcast here, mate. Let's do it. Okay. So I'm gonna throw some words at you here. All right. And I'm gonna get you to put them into a sentence. Okay, you're testing me here. Remember, I've been out of Scotland for fifteen years. Oh mate, I've heard I've heard most of these words come out of your gub <laughs> you know, in videos along the way, mate. Boar hair. Oh, tell you what. I had a twenty foot part and it was a boar hair away to draft. And this would be fun. Oh dear, that's very good. <laughs> boar. The dictionary uh, meaning for boar hair is literally meaning the width of a pubic hair. There you go. <laughs> Just how close it was. A boar hair away. Did you think we'd get to this? Okay, here's another classic. Boke. Oh man. I tell you what, after that round, I went in and had one of the cheeseburgers in the clubhouse. Oh, I was rotten. It gave me the boat. <laughs> Uh, love it. How am I doing? Yeah, no, you're doing really well. Uh, <laughs> book is uh, the geese book is um, to make you throw up. Um, 
Oh, it's, it, it, this is uh, what about Gallus? Feeling Gallus? Aye. Tell you what, I was feeling Gallus feeling. after I knocked that ace in. <laughs> there you go. Feeling Gallus. Um, confidence, maybe arrogance, but otherwise uh, something bold or daring. Oh, here's a good word. This is one of the f- favourite words that uh, my mum used to throw at me. Like it. Oh, I don't know if I can spit this in that <laughs> sentence without swearing. <laughs> Glick it. Glick it. Can't wait for that, you glick it, bastard. <laughs> uh, it means gullible. There you go. Glick it means gullible. Uh, another one of my favourite words. Yeah, toffee, glick it. Another Where one of it? my favourite words, and my grandmother. God, uh, God bless her. Uh, she used to use this one. I remember it when I first met her. Bampot. Oh, that's a good Glaswegian one, that one. Do you see that in Edinburgh? <laughs> Down in Leith we do, all right. All right. Oh, I'll tell you what, man. He's missed a wee tiddler there at the last hole to have the match. What a bumper. What an idiot. There you go. An unhinged idiot. Uh, what else? I've got a couple of other ones. Oh, this is a good one. Um, it came it came up the other day when uh, Alex and I were watching the show on, that, that's on at the moment on um, the guy goes back in time, you know, forward and back in time. Oh, um, another one. I don't watch it. Another one, you mean Outlander, uh, Outlander? Outlander, that's it. Everyone, that's that's one thing I get when people hear my accent. Oh, you must love Outlander. Oh. <laughs> I've never watched it in my life. Never watched Outlander. Well, Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. My Love of Golf watches it uh, religiously. But the word Raj. Oh, Raji, Raji. Uh, see, someone said to me, right, who was I talking to? And they brought up the word Raj. And I always thought Raji was like a Northern English word because I've got a few Geordie mates, like a few. Friends from Newcastle, yeah, and they always it's always the Raji, the Raji Gaji, Raji just means like you need to get me on that because like the a Raji is just it's kind of your Raj, your Raj. It's like an idiot, you know, like a you know, your Raj, someone who's who's... you know, I've never heard that in Glasgow. Oh, really? Never heard that in Glasgow, but I've heard it plenty in the north of England. I think uh, you might have commented on something the other day on Scottish Patter on this one, but uh, you certainly heard it because we've all heard Billy Connolly talk about it. Jobby. <laughs> the greatest Scottish word ever invented. Uh, well, we don't need to put that one into a sentence, but it's uh, a turd. A turd. There you go. Uh, Ken, that's more of that, a... I think. Ken, that's more of a kind of uh, northern or east coast. You would have said Ken yeah. or in your way. Yeah, mum and, mum and dad, uh, gee, Ken. Dinny Ken, I don't know. Ken is to know. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, what else? What else? What else? Scunner. That's a good word. Scunner. Well, that's a good Glaswegian word. Absolutely scunnered. Oh, he's absolutely scunnered me there. So done with done with it. Uh, I'm working to five. I'm scunnered with it. So I'm fit up. Yeah. 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 Scunnered me. Uh, another good one. Sleek it. That's one. That's one. I still throw about scunnered. There you go. I throw that, even the, the boys over in Australia, I've got all them flinging in here, a wee scunnered here and there. Um, sleek it? Oh, he's a, a shifty one, him. He's a, he's a sleek it boy. Yeah, yeah. politicians. Uh, politicians are sleek it. Oh, they're very sleek it then. Oh, dear, mate, there's heaps There's heaps here. <laughs> with a Scottish uh, Ouija, Ouija. That's a, is that an offensive word, to call someone a Ouija? Nah, I don't think huh? it's offensive. If you take offence to it, then I feel like you're not a Ouija. Yeah. It takes a lot to offend the Glaswegian. It says the term the rest of Scotland uses to refer to the type of people who say the above. <laughs> yeah, Ouija. Wait, even you. 
Thanks a lot to our friend, the Glaswegian, mate. Uh, very good, very good, mate. There's a heap there. But anyway, that was a bit of fun. What are you playing golf with? What's in your bag? Let's give a shout-out to your tailor-made guys. What's in your bag there, mate? What are you? I just said to you earlier, I've got a brand-new driver, and it's obviously the courses are – well, it's been unclear if the courses are open or not. I'm hearing that they're open, so I'm hopefully going to take my new driver out on Sunday. I've got the new Sim Max. What a beautiful-looking golf club that is. Long. Um, is it? No, for me, it's not. <laughs> well, I hope it is. <laughs> I'm not the biggest hitter in the group. Um yeah, I've got Sim Max now that's going to go in the bag. Uh, the M6 three-wood, which is the best sounding three-wood when you actually hit it in the middle of the face anyway. It's the best sounding three-wood I've ever heard in my life. Uh, Three-gapper, P790s from a four-iron into a... Usually I only take a half set. Yeah. Uh, because we travel so much, I'll usually only... I will try and only take one bag, so I'll take a half set. of I'll take my driver, my gapper, and then I'll take either five, seven, nine, and a couple of wedges or uh, whatnot. But I've got the P790 irons, which are the best irons I've ever had in my life, without a doubt. And then the uh, high toe wedges, which are incredible. I've actually been fortunate enough. I've got a new putter in the bag. Um, that was one of Jason Day's old ones that he threw out. I don't know how I managed to get my hands on it, but yeah. this thing is, I don't know how, I, if I miss a putt, I've only got myself to blame. It's like it's programmed to hold any putt you look at. Is that the new Spider Spider Tour X? Spider X, yeah. Spider Tour X, yeah, and it's uh, oh, it's gorgeous. It's like navy. I'll put a picture up. It's navy, no no sight line or anything on it, with a black face. It's a thing of beauty, absolute thing of beauty. Uh, yeah, I love the TaylorMade guys. They've they're, uh, great. they're good partners of yours. Of you guys over there, they they oh, absolutely yeah, absolutely. That's one thing I'm always so lucky, and I always say to the guys, every single one of the TaylorMade guys that you ever meet are always just the best guy you'll ever meet. Mm. They do such a good job. with Whoever's in charge of their recruitment down there is doing such a great job. And even I met one of the boys in Melbourne. Is it Benji? Yeah, Benji, yep. Met him at the President's Cup. Again, another great guy. Another great guy. He's been he's been on the podcast before. Benji uh, had some good stories to tell. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a good family that we're lucky to be a part of, I think. Yeah. No, they're the great bunch of people. The guy, all the guys here in Australia, the management of uh, TaylorMade, uh, from from Andrew Bayless uh, right through to the guys in the warehouse. Mate, I, I've taken up way too much of your time. I really appreciate it. If there's anything Not else, all, anything else from you, mate? No, I can think of me, mate. I really do appreciate your time. Right too. I can't wait to see you back out there on the road doing what you do, what you love doing, what you're passionate doing. I wish you all the best at this time. Stay safe. Stay well. Wishes to uh, Jack, Madge, Cassandra. Thank you if you're still in there listening. And I'll see you soon, mate, eh? Yeah, thanks a million for having me on, Ross. I really appreciate it, mate. Um, I hope everything goes well, obviously, for you with uh, work and all that and the crazy times that we're living in, you know. We're all in it together. And uh, what I do know is golf, when it comes back to golf normality, it will be stronger, better, different than we've done it before. And we'll learn something from it. And if that means we need to change our ways, we'll change our ways. If we can do it differently and be better, that's what that's what will happen. But I know that golf is one thing that everyone will look forward to. It'll bring everyone together. And I think that's one of the things that uh, we're going to look forward to and need post this crazy time that we've got, mate. Absolutely. As my dad always says, it will all come out in the wash. I it will. Mate, yeah. See, I left the bad Scottish accent until the end, but... Uh, Mate, thanks. <laughs> Very good, mate. All right, Ross. All right, mate. Appreciate your time. Thank you, buddy.
Thanks a lot for your time, mate. Yeah, really appreciate it. Cool, cool.